You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. I have uh, Christian Walmar. He's a, um, a pundit. He talks about, uh, you know, I guess the happenings that are going on, especially in the, uh, the self-driving car industry. So we're going to focus on that today. So Christian, thanks for coming. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing very well, and uh, it's great to uh, uh, help spread the message about my views about driver's cars. Yeah, what's your, um, do you have any background that intersects with um, you know, either the engineering side or the public transport side or the, you know, where, where in your background? Um, I, you... I've been writing about uh, transport matters uh, really for mm. about the last 25 years since being transportation correspondent on a national newspaper, The Independent. I've written about 20 books, uh, some on transport policy, some on the railways. Um, but uh, just to preempt some of my critics, it's not because I'm a rail fan that I'm a critic of uh, driverless cars. It's because I have concerns about the whole concept. Yeah, no, I do too. I mean, there's a lot of romanticism about them. And then there's this um, resigned acceptance from people. Well, that's what's going to happen. There's nothing we can do about it. That's the future. That's what I've oh, let been me, hearing. Let me, let me pick you up on that because that's the thing that drives me most mad, right? Which is that... The number of articles, I get a lot of articles. I, I read everything about this, right? And so many of them, even one I read uh, yesterday, I think, uh, on Medium Digest or somewhere, said, driverless cars are coming. It's inevitable. They are on their way. So how do we deal with it? And that's really like sort of saying, well, you know, we're going to get kind of rocket travel to Australia, uh, you know, in a kind of hour and a half from New York or whatever. I mean, there is no guarantee that driverless cars are on their way. There's a huge kind of roadmap with lots of obstacles before we get there. And yet all these pundits and people say, well, this is happening, so we've got to deal with it. Right, exactly. So what, what are some of the major concerns you have about um, driverless cars? Is it that they're overhyped, or is it the technology itself is dangerous, or you know, where does your thoughts lie? Well, I think uh, all of those things. Let's talk about the, the the hype first, because that's what really got me into this. Uh, I don't really understand why there is so much uh, coverage of this without really any explanation of how we would ever adopt these things, and why is the coverage so? Uh, undoubtedly positive, uh, universally positive about it, because you know, there are questions about, as you say, safety, about hacking, about the desirability of it, about congestion, all, all sorts of things. 
And yet, we're always getting these pieces that start from the idea that this is really going to be great news. You know, it's going to save lots of lives. Uh, it's going to enable kind of, you know, older people as they kind of lose their faculties to continue being in, in cars. Uh, it's even going to enable blind people to be in, in cars and, and so on. And I've started, I started by actually swallowing some of that hype and thinking, oh, yeah, this is really kind of amazing. And then I started to look at it and I suppose you, you can look, first of all, you can object to the technical aspects and then the social aspects. But just looking at the technical aspects first, this is it. driving a car is an incredibly difficult thing to do. Um, you know, we're alert all the time. We, we see hundreds of things going on uh, at the same time. And as human beings, we're pretty good at it. I know we kill, you know, in America, you kill 35,000 people a year. But, you know, that's one person every 100 million miles or so, which is not, you know, not bad and shows that we're fairly good at it. And some of those people who, who get killed are drunk or whatever and, and, or just driving far too fast or just plain stupid. And, you know, we could avoid those crashes. So the idea that, you know, suddenly we'll get driverless cars and we'll save all these lives, that would only work if everybody was in a driverless car um, and everybody was uh, actually able to uh, have a, a car that was 100% safe and uh, would not be hacked. There'd be no software glitches and so on. And you only have to look at those two 737 accidents of the last uh, few months to see that you know software is not always reliable and difficult. Okay, so that's the first thing. The technical aspects are nowhere near there. Secondly, uh, you have to kind of look at the ability of these cars, even if they did exist, to negotiate very difficult situations. At the moment, the cars being operated by Waymo or, or whoever, uh, Waymo is way ahead technically, um, of uh, who, who operate these cars, are doing so in, in very... Uh, contained safe areas tend to be American towns built on a grid system, not enormous amounts of traffic, although some, um, and they drive servitive way. Quick question. I thought, um, I think it was in China, somewhere in Europe, or maybe in China, I read, they're going to do a one mile stretch of like, you know, it would be like an HOV lane, but it'll be a autonomous car lane only. So I guess yeah. that's close to reality. Still, you know, walled off uh, a bit, but have you read about that? Well, yeah, yes. I mean, let's look at that. I mean, I mean, I, you, there are a lot of uh, tests where it's kind of geofenced in one way or another. You know, it's restricted to a certain routes, and uh, the cars cope with that reasonably well. And that's okay. And I think there might be a long-term use of that, say an airport shuttle or, or something like that. Uh, but what the driverless car people say is that, hey, this is totally revolutionary. We're going to get shared-use electric driverless cars, and they're going to be so good that you're not going to want to own your own car, right? And you're going to just basically have an app. You're going to replace your car with an app, and the app will call up the car, as it does with Uber at the moment. We should come back to the subject right. of Uber in a minute. Um, but uh, So you'll just have an app, and... Uh, that means that there'll be fewer cars on the road, that you won't need to own your own car, and so on. This is just complete BS. 
I mean, why would you replace your own car with a, with an app that calls up a car that may or may not come, um, that uh, is then uh, likely not to be 100% reliable because it's totally driverless and you well, won't know about the roadworks and so on? Why would, you, why well, would anybody that, want to do that? Well, I think what happens, you know, like human nature is that people are lazy. So, you know, if we if we had driverless cars, we wouldn't have to sit there and pay attention. We would sit there and just read the newspaper or something. Um, yes. I see one progression, possible progression is this, is that driverless cars come out. There's enough of them that either the study is well-founded or not, and they say that they're safer and they have less accidents than human-driven cars. Then there's legislation to disallow people from driving cars and only do driverless unless an emergency. I see things migrating in that direction. I don't know. If oh, but that's, 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 that, that's one of my objections to this. I mean, the, the issue of uh, personal freedom. Uh, you know, lots of people like driving their cars for a start. Secondly, there is no evidence that they'll be safer so far. I mean, when Tesla and the like claim, oh, we've driven X million miles, um, and this suggests that it's safer, uh, those miles are, are, are miles that are driven in very easy conditions. They're not driven in snow, heavy rain, uh, very difficult, crowded conditions, lots of junctions, all that sort of stuff. They're driven mainly on highways. So uh, getting to your point is, is difficult. And then getting to your point, again, is very difficult because of what is the changeover problem. So the driverless car people have got to level three where, you know, the car drives itself for, say, 80 90% of the time, but you still need to be alert. And that's where the cars become more dangerous because you're not necessarily staying alert all the time. You, you want to kind of, you know, w watch a movie on, on your phone or something, but, and you're tempted to adjust your attention to just drift. And that's where they become more dangerous than ordinary cars. Okay. So at level three, I mean, so I, I test drove a Tesla and I don't know what motor yeah. it was in, but they required you to put your both of your hands on the steering wheel every so often. I don't know if that yeah. was a level two thing or, you know. But that would, what would be, level yeah, three level two, look two like to three. Two, two, two to three, probably, yeah. So what would three look like? It would, you wouldn't have to do anything at all? You just sit uh, there? You would, you know, it would do rather more, uh, rather more maneuvers. And, uh, you know, it, it, would, it would kind of, but it would still require you uh, to be alert. It's not till you get to level four where you actually have something that is really driverless. And it's interesting that Ford and one or two other companies have abandoned level three because they realized it's more dangerous. So Ford put in a, a safety driver and the safety driver tended to fall asleep. So they put in a second safety driver and they both tended to fall asleep. So they thought, <laughs> okay, level three is a bad idea. And then to technically to get to level four, is just proving really difficult. I mean, if you're looking at the stuff that's coming out of the likes of Waymo uh, and other uh, car manufacturers at the moment, they are saying, oh, this is a bit more difficult than we uh, expected. You know, it's, it's actually uh, proving very hard to, to get anywhere near level four. And, you know, don't believe a word of Elon Musk's things about, oh, he's going to have a million level five cars on the road next year he's not i mean it's just a bit of elon musk hype well what's so difficult about level four is it that you know a lot of the driving is off highway is it the last mile they call it i mean what's where's the difficulty in it 
Well, uh, the, the difference is uh, all the obstacles uh, that you face, particularly in an urban environment, uh, particularly, and remember, you might be thinking American cities here, but just think of British cities, which are, you know, have much more complicated road networks in the city centers, or let alone Indian uh, cities or other Asian cities, where it's completely chaotic. So you need good road markings. You need, uh, you know, it's, they have great difficulty in snow. They have great difficulty in, in heavy rain. Um, you know, to, to get to level four, you have to, I always think the test of it is simple. You have to drive me to my office kind of in town, drive back and take my kids to school, right? That, that, would, be, that would be a level four, right? Um, and there is nothing approaching that uh, at the moment. And lots of companies are saying, well, we'll, we'll get there, you know, in three, four, five years' time. But it's always, I've been looking at this, I've been studying this about four years, and there is always everything's going to happen in three years' time. It's, it's, it's quite amusing, really. They, they, they push these predictions of, of, of how, how they're going to get there. And then ultimately, there's two problems that I think are insuperable. One, I would is, is uh, the, 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 the fundamental problem of what happens when you stand in front of the car. It has to stop for you, right? It can't be programmed to kill you. So if you put a lot of these driverless cars in an urban, chaotic urban environment, we, we, don't, we don't have a jaywalking law in the UK. and Some European countries don't, some do. So people just tend to wander into the streets, right? And if there's uh, a traffic jam uh, or, or quite a lot of cars, people just walk in front of these cars. Now, if they were driverless, they'd be able to walk in front of these cars all the time, and the cars would just never make any progress because they wouldn't be able to drive forward because people would just say, oh, there's nobody in that car. It's a driverless car. And the second insuperable problem is there's a lot of streets, particularly in London, but also elsewhere, where there's just one uh, room for one car in the middle, you know, because there's parked cars on both sides. And teaching driverless car the etiquette of, you know, flashing your lights and letting somebody through uh, or, you know, pushing your way through or whatever, I think is a near insuperable problem. We, we operate by looking at people's eyes and communicating them. And the idea that you'd have every car connected with every car is so complex, so difficult that, you know, I don't think, I don't know how old you are, but, you know, I'm in my 60s, but I, I don't think it's going to happen in your lifetime. Well, I worry about cars communicating with each other. I mean, you know, I, I, I envision, I mean, we're going down a different tack here, but I envision in the near future, you know, someone in some country, they're going to be driving. All of a sudden, the doors will lock in a, you know, over the speaker. It'll say, <laughs> you've been kidnapped. Well, you know, why not? You've been kidnapped. And if you don't no, wire no, a million dollars to this account, we'll kill you, everyone in the car, you know, yes. drive you up the road. Unless you, unless you put $10,000 in somebody's account. Uh, yes, I mean, there that there is that issue that you are giving an awful lot of power to the car and you don't really know uh who is powering the car but let's just throw in one more one more point here which is that why is this thought to be desirable because it doesn't solve any of our transportation problems okay you can sit in the back of the car and read a book but or look at google more likely but uh, it doesn't solve the congestion problem. Quite the opposite. There'll be a lot of these driverless cars around. And the only reason that the OEMs and the tech companies are saying, oh, uh, there's going to be fewer cars, you'll just have your app, 
is because they realized that if, they, if we all owned our own driverless car, there'd be even more cars on the road because there'd be lots of these empty things driving around. And they have to then put the argument, well, no, actually, uh, you're just going to have an app and not have a, a, a car anymore. You're not going to own it. There's nothing to indicate that people don't want to own their own cars. I mean, they'd like having their baby seat in the car. They like having, you know, a particular model of car, you know, either a small hatchback or a great big Cadillac, whatever. You know, they, there's, there's, there's no... At the moment, we don't have to own our own car. We've got Uber if we really want it, but we kind of like having the immediacy of having our car outside, apart from some millennials well, and Uber, people, you know, some people. Well, Uber hasn't yet gotten to the point where it's cheaper than owning your own car. If it ever gets to that point, there may be a different dynamic. I don't know. Well, their argument, of course, is that they're going to get uh, driverless cars and uh, that therefore it'll become much cheaper. But there's no evidence for this. These cars will be very expensive because the sensors and the LIDAR and all the other, and the, they, they probably have 10 computers on them. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be extremely uh, complex vehicles. So the cost price might be much higher than a, a normal car. What's more, if Uber is going over to a driverless model, who is going to own these cars? At the moment, they offset the capital cost onto uh, the the owner drivers but if they take if they, i've never understood their business line. i've questioned people from uber about this and they're not really able to answer it but uh if they didn't uh have the drivers they'd have to own all the cars or lease all the cars which would be uh, an added cost so the idea that these driverless cars will bring much cheaper uh, taxi transport uh, for Uber users, I think is uh, completely uh, fanciful. It's a, uh, uh, it's again you know, part of the hype, and I, I think it's very interesting that Uber's IPO only uh, yesterday uh, has actually not done as as well as expected. Because I think a lot of people are understanding the sort of points I've been making. You know, let alone the fact that Uber has never made any profit. But I think its future is not as rosy as it points as it paints because it won't ever get to this driverless car uh, situation. Well, Uber is not even it's not making profit, it's losing billions. Yes, so. that's right. And and the idea that it would then have to buy all the cars and yet kind of make a right, profit, I just don't see how that works. You know what I, I, I thought about is that a car could very quickly turn into a tool for surveillance. I mean, if you do have these driverless cars or as cars get more technologically advanced, you know, a lot of cars have a rear-facing camera to back up and all that, but at some point soon they'll have cameras all over them, and I can see them reporting in on all kinds of activity. You know, being co-opted by government to, uh, you know, for the cameras to be like, you know, used for the public or used by the police. So I can see cars reporting on other cars and all kinds of other activity. I don't oh, like well, that. Well, we already have that. We already have that to some extent in this country with what's called automatic number plate recognition (ANPR). Um, and uh, there is no doubt that. But on the cars uh, themselves, we, imagine on cars sorry? themselves. Imagine every car having that ability, and yeah. the footage from each car being logged and kept, and you know, to view everything else around them. I mean, then it really gets expensive and invasive. No, I, I, I totally agree with you. I think this is a, a very dystopian kind of future. Uh, that is being portrayed, um, whereas the the driverless car supporters uh, say, oh, this is a wonderful future. We'll be able to green over the 
suburban roads because there'll be fewer cars and and so on. Um, And they never really discuss uh, the security implications, the hacking uh, implications, and then just the sheer um, desirability of this, the, the fact that nobody has really ever asked for this future. Um, nobody, th- there is no clamour for uh, driverless cars. It's it's an idea that technically they think is feasible, and therefore uh, they're trying to develop it with with money that, frankly, is you know footloose, either venture capital money or just super profits made by uh, the likes of of Apple or, or Microsoft or whatever, which are. Which is, is the profits are so big they don't quite know what to do with their money. So they're they're investing it in this concept, thinking it is the next big thing. But I think there is a, a lot of counter evidence to think that it's just not going to happen. So what um what do you think is the likely future over the next ten years? What kind of um, I guess I don't know dystopian milestones will be well, hit? So what kind of realizations will happen? Well, I think in terms of driverless cars, I think there will be some. Uh, limited uh, geofenced usage, um, but I, I think that the, the 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 notion of these driverless uh, shared use electric cars will uh, be quietly uh, ditched, and there might be some some limited use. In terms of electric cars, I think there will be a big increase in the number of electric cars. I think in terms of towns and cities, more and more will move towards. Uh, having uh, uh, more restrictions on cars, particularly in Europe, but maybe even in some American cities like New York, um, where they will start charging for cars to go into city centers. There'll be more sort of schemes like Times Square, where you're 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 kind of creating uh, much more livable environments by having uh, fewer cars. But I also think on the other side, you know, there is enormous pressure uh, to build more roads, to, to, to have more uh, easy access to cars. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a kind of battle that will be played out in thousands of cities across the world between different conceptions of the future, either one that is very car-oriented, um, where, you know, Los Angeles being the kind of epitome of that, or places which are much more oriented towards creating uh, more livable cities, which I think a lot of millennials really appreciate, a lot of people of the the 20s, 30s generation, um, like Copenhagen, like Amsterdam, uh, and even to some extent like London, where uh, you are, people, the the, the policymakers are realizing that uh, people want to have a, a cleaner Less car-oriented uh, environment. So there is a, it's a it's a it's a mega battle uh, being fought in a thousands of cities. Well, I can see like um, you know I've seen a few light rail projects. There's tremendous infrastructure. The light rail is like uh, it's kind of useless. It goes along one path, and if you live you know perpendicular more than a half mile to the light rail, it's quite a trek to get there. It's not very useful. I mean, buses to me seem a lot more useful. So maybe the uh, driverless cars will become like, you know, mini buses. They'll travel along the path and make stops if someone's in there or not, and they'll pick people up, and maybe there would be a lot less infrastructure requirement versus uh, a light rail. I don't know. Um, uh, that's true. I mean, light rail has the advantage. It attracts 
people out their cars. They they like rail. And once you start to have a network, of course, we had that both in America and in uh, Europe. We had huge networks of, of tram systems which were ripped out um, to favor uh, cars. Um, and you're right. Uh, you know, a perfect transport system is in a way is having kind of very frequent buses along the main arteries. Um, and uh, then people walk or maybe take a cab for the last mile or whatever. And that, that, is, a, that is a great network. The trouble is that the main arteries get clogged up with lots of cars. Um, but I don't see where driverless comes into that equation. You're saving the cost of the driver, but you're adding lots of extra costs in terms of all this equipment you're putting on. And it may be that it's very difficult to bring down the, the cost. I mean, the, the LiDAR, the laser equipment on, on top of a, uh, a driverless car costs, still costs $20,000, $30,000, even the most basic. Uh, and uh, even though Tesla argues you don't need them, most people think that you need them in driverless cars. So that adds a big cost. Well, I think what people are saying is, oh, um, they assume more is law. You to make the cost of that come down to very little over the next few years. They, they just, that's their big assumption. They go ahead yes. planning everything, assuming it'll be cheap. Yes, um, but even with Moore's Law, and even if they have lots more computing uh, power, uh, there is still the, 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 the sort of issues that I've mentioned where it's very difficult to envisage driverless cars being able to drive as well as humans in terms of uh, the interaction with other vehicles. I think the standard thing is what we call a T-junction, where you know you come up against the road and you either have to turn right or left. Um, and again, it, it's something where the interaction with other human beings is, is really necessary, because if it's a very crowded road you're trying to uh, get into, it's you're really waiting for somebody to flash their lights or, or wave at you and let you through. Driverless cars can't do that, so they will drive in a very conservative, boring way. And I, I think this is happening in, in Mountain View, where Waymo is very active. That there are some junctions that uh, ordinary drivers try to avoid because they will get stuck behind these driverless cars, which can never pull out of the side road because there's there's so mm. much traffic. So getting around those little problems is much more difficult than one, one might uh, envisage. And I think that they are coming up against those sort of difficulties. Any other ancillary issues you think will be um, important? Probably very big. And the security one is rather big. You see, if you're in a driverless car and you're down a dark alleyway somewhere, there's nothing to stop what Donald Trump calls bad people from stepping in front of your car and attacking it. Right, so... You're never going to see celebrities uh, or people with a lot of money uh, in a driverless car, um, you know, driving down anywhere that is vaguely unsafe because they will always be vulnerable, you know, to attack. And when I put this on a radio program once, I, I got kind of laughed at by the guy developing the autonomous cars, the guy from Oxford professor who said, oh, no, this is never going to happen. But he wasn't able to answer the point that actually this is fundamental. You need security in a car. And if, you're, if you can't get security because anybody can stop the car by standing in front of you, I don't think that there's going to be ever a mass market for these vehicles. What about eliminating the steering wheel and eliminating a lot of the internal components? You can't even drive it if you wanted to. 
Well, uh, I think that technically that is uh, that is enormously difficult. And also, well, if you eliminate that's level five you're talking about there, and if you eliminate the the pedals and you eliminate the steering wheel and you eliminate any power to take over, what happens when you get into some some difficulty where the car is either not programmed to deal with or uh, can't cope with this particular emergency, like, you know, unexpected roadworks, a landslide, um, you know, a flood, uh, whatever. Would you really ever trust going in that? And let alone, would you trust putting your kids in a car like that? I don't think so. So so this, yeah, this, no, this driverless world is, is really, you know, not one that, a lot of people are going to subscribe to. So what do you envision is going to happen in um, in the U.S. versus China? You know, you think regimes will try this anyway, or what do you think will happen? I, I think China will get way ahead of this because they, they're an authoritarian regime, and they can uh, dictate the fact, well, hey, let's have this small city and, and test it and only allow in autonomous vehicles, right? And they can say, right, nobody's allowed in you can't do that in, uh, you know, an, an, an American city, even, you know, a small town, say Lancaster, Pennsylvania or somewhere, you know, uh, you just can't do that. Whereas the Chinese would be able to do that. And then they'd be able to develop the technology on that basis. But it might not be a technology that would ever be acceptable in the West, that we just, you know, would not want to have that sort of restriction whereby, in a town or city, you're not allowed to drive cars and you only have driverless cars. I, I think that would be socially unacceptable, um, particularly as, as I said earlier, um, there are some people who would never uh, want to go in these cars for either security reasons or, or other reasons, uh, and they would never want to use them. So I just I think China will get ahead technically because they're able to uh, impose those sort of restrictions on people. Any lessons to be learned from the um, horseback riding to car transition from many years ago? Uh, yes. Um, uh, you know, I'm in my 60s, and uh, so I was a child in the 60s. And do you know the, the, the milk, and I lived in London, the milk was delivered by a horse and cart, right? That was in the 1960s. So... Uh, and interestingly enough, the, 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 the delivery van from Harrods, the, the store, was electric. So uh, even though cars had been around for 60 or 70 years, there were still companies choosing to use a horse and cart because it was uh, cheaper or uh, better or they just hadn't modernized. Um, and that shows just, you know, we used to say technology is kind of introduced very quickly. Well, it is at the top end. But it doesn't necessarily doesn't necessarily become universal. So the idea that we would all be in driverless cars very soon, uh, I think, is completely fanciful. Um, you know, there will be a, an enormous transition period if ever it is possible to have a totally driverless car. Well, which you know you might gather, I don't think is feasible. But you know, one can never say never. What percentage of uh, cars on the road being driverless do you think would create a lot of notice? and change the uh, how driving happens to everybody. Yes, yes. I mean, it would, it would you know, say there was 10 or 20% of these cars on the road, it, it would drive people mad. They'd get, you know, get really angry at the way these things are driving. So they would start to drive 
less well and try and squeeze these cars and and overtake them uh, in difficult conditions just just because they were driving so slowly, um, particularly if you know in areas where maybe the road markings have been rubbed out or it snowed a bit or or whatever. Um, so uh, I think I think the only way that these cars will be introduced is through geofencing, and I think you'd only be able to geofence kind of very limited shuttle areas, like as I say, uh, an airport shuttle or uh, something like that. Um, I, I just yeah, you bring that. up a good point. You bring up a good point. Imagine you do have significant geofencing in a city, then it snows, everything gets covered over. What do you do? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. What happens to these cars? They will have to teach them somehow to drive in the snow, and um, you know that might be very difficult to do. Um, so, so... Um, and also, I mean, would you really want to, say, go over the Rockies in a driverless car, <laughs> go up to a ski resort in a driverless car with lots of uh, what we call hairpin bends? I mean, you'd be a bit nervous about that. You'd really hope that the GPS was, like, you know, accurate. I mean, uh, it's supposed to be accurate to, to 10 centimeters or something, but, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd You'd sweat a bit, wouldn't you? Kind of, you know, going around these corners, uh, uh, you know, with a precipice next to you. What if they had, like, you uh, tested driverless cars in the death road in Bolivia? Have you ever seen that? It's this uh, road that like 200 yeah. people a year die on. Imagine yeah, yeah. a driverless car in there. Oh, jeez. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, there, 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 there's a million scenarios where you can't quite imagine this happening. And um, remember, that's another bit of hype. Tesla... Elon Musk promised that he'd drive from coast to coast last year, didn't he? We haven't seen that yet. That's right, yeah. I mean, driving a driver's car. We haven't seen that yet. Well, very good. So what's the best way for folks to get an honest or a more rounded uh, view of what's really going on with driverless cars? You know, should they be interested? Uh, well, I just I follow a, high, a, a variety of websites like Wired and uh, Medium and... Uh, uh, several others where um, uh, the trouble is a lot of the stuff is geared towards uh, hype. Uh, but even the hype is interesting to, to, to read because uh, you can start to kind of uh, uh, critique it. But there's quite a lot of stuff coming out which is uh, um, more critical. And, and I have noticed in the last year that the tone has changed from one where everybody was totally optimistic and saying, oh, this is all going to happen, to people saying, well, we're not quite sure. Um, and even the, the, the boss of Waymo, whose name escapes me at the moment, has said that he finds it difficult to imagine that these cars will ever operate in rural areas. So, so we're beginning to see a trend. It'll be interesting to see how long it takes the stock market to, to the stock exchange to see this. I, my view is that this is a bubble that will burst. You know, there is so much money going into this, but at some point, if people realise that there isn't really going to be uh, any end product out of this, they might all start pulling the plug. Very good. What about getting in contact with you? Christian Walmart is my uh, uh, best. Uh, www.christianwalmart.co.uk or my uh, Gmail is christian.walmart at gmail.com. Um, all those ways are good, good, but particularly my Twitter. I, I, I do a lot of this stuff on Twitter, at Christian Walmart. That's great. Well, Christian, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. 
That's a pleasure. Please, uh, when you post it, do uh, uh, so I can uh, uh, tweet it out. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you.